Good morning, everyone. Today we are going to do Psalm 7 and 8. In Psalm 7, I am I marvel at the confidence of David in God and how God is going to protect him and also the confidence that David has in his own righteousness. Let's take a look at some of this. Um, O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. And then he talks about how if he is not delivered, that these people are going to take his life. In in verse 2, Or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. Um, You know, we don't know if this is from the hand of Saul, uh, from the Philistines, or from Absalom, but for a moment, I want to assume it's from the hand of Saul. You might recall that David like played an instrument for Saul, and Saul like really turned on David and wanted to kill David and hunted David down. And David had many opportunities to fight back and to take Saul's life, but he would never do it. And he would actually show how righteous he was before Saul by, by even proving that like he put like a, I think a spear one time by Saul's head when he was sleeping, which indicated to Saul obviously that hey David could have thrust his spear through him, but he didn't. Even though Saul was trying to kill him, David kept protecting his life, and it seems like to me this could be what David is referring to. Because listen to what he says in verse three: "O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil for, to my friend." or have plundered him without cause, was my adversary. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. He's like, if this is true, if I deserve this, let's assume it's from the hand of Saul, then Lord, let him take my life. But he says, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples encompass you, and over them return on high. Uh, The Lord judges the peoples. And listen to what he says here. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. O let the evil one of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. Isn't that something that David would proclaim his righteousness and that as a result of being in the right, that God would protect him? Now, David did have a special anointing on his life, and from David was going to come Solomon and from you know the king line of Israel, and, and ultimately uh, Jesus is going to come from this line. So David had a confidence in God that God would vindicate him, that God would protect him and God would see him through. And, you know, David didn't always do things that were right in his life. But in this particular case, if let's just say this was with Saul, David really was in the right. Like he protected Saul's life, even though Saul was trying to kill him. And I find it interesting that, you know, a lot of times in life, especially as a Christian, you're going to have people mock you or say that you've done wrong or somehow say 
what you did, you know, wasn't right or isn't kind or whatever. And a lot of times we might be like, oh, I wonder if I did wrong or, oh, I wonder if, I wonder if they're right. And we may not have confidence when we're standing with God that we're in the right, that, that, you know, and I think sometimes we have to have more confidence in God that when we're standing with him and his ways, that don't let what people say or think bother you as though somehow what they're saying is right. They don't have God's perspective. Now, we have to be careful because we could be overconfident in areas where we shouldn't be. But I think a lot of times as Christians, we're not confident enough in the ways of God. And, you know, people will call us haters or mean or not loving or, you know, for whatever issue we might be speaking out on. And we have to have more confidence, honestly, in God that what that when we're standing in his ways, we're in the right. Um, I love this where it says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteous and will sing praise to the name of the Lord on the most high. So David ends with praise. Um, I think this is a good thing to evaluate. Let's say we are attacked or ridiculed. Really take it before God and say, hey, you know what? Do I have something to learn? Or do I need to have the confidence of God that I'm standing with him in the right? And if I am, to boldly stand with him. And uh, may we have the wisdom to know uh, when we're in the right and when we're with God and when we're not. And when we are with God, may we stand all the more boldly with him. Moving on then uh, to Psalm 8. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the psalm starts and ends with that, and I feel like that's the the main thrust of the psalm. How majestic is your name in all the earth? I think many times we have too low of a view of who God is. We don't revere him the way that we should, and we need to see him as a miracle worker all throughout history. We need to see him as high and lifted up, worthy of praise, the creator of everything. And in fact, that's what it gets into here. We have you who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength. Um, listen to what it says in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. You know, I think, you know, you can be careful in the scriptures. It does talk about not worshiping, you know, the sun, moon, and stars. But to be in awe of God of his creation, I think, is good. And that, of course, is endorsed here to just take a look at everything, even look up like Abraham did. Look at the stars if you can count them and just say, wow, God, amazing that you created it all. Then we have this this passage in here in verse 4 and 5. And uh, it comes up several times in the New Testament. And I want to take a look at those with you. What is man that you take thought of him <clears throat> and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than either God or the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And that sounds very messianic, like it's talking about Jesus. And let's take a look 
at some places in the scriptures where this is brought up. So it's brought up in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse, let's see, in verse 27, we'll kind of read a little bit um, around it. So it says in verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Isn't that cool? That one day Jesus is going to abolish death all together. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put, accepted. He is accepted, accepted, E-X-C-E-P-T-E-D. He is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Isn't that interesting? So all things have been subjected to Jesus, but one day Jesus is going to be at the right hand of God and will you know God will be on the throne and Jesus will be at the right hand of God. So right, you know, in the in a season Jesus all things are subjected to him, but then then one day God will be on his throne with Jesus at his right hand. So listen to it to it says um you make him to rule over the works of his hands. It says, Yet you have made him a little lower than God or the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. Isn't that interesting? So it, it, it kind of shows a Trinitarian thing, but also that that everything's been subject to Jesus, but one day Jesus will be at the right hand or subject to God. It, very interesting. For Ephesians 1 um, 22. Let's take a look at that. It's mentioned again. Ephesians 1.22. And it says here, I'm going to pick it up in verse 21, far above, uh, this is talking about Jesus, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that's where that's brought up there. And then um, let's look at Hebrews 2.8. And I remember this one. Hebrews 2.8, kind of t- more towards the end of our New Testament. Hebrews 2.8. I always remember Hebrews before James, H-I-J. That's how I remember it, before James. But anyways, Hebrews 2, 8, we said, right? Yeah. And it says here in Hebrews 2, 8, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. Um, for he did not subject, he for he did not subject to an angel, to angels, the world, to come, for he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying somewhere and he's referring to Psalm eight, 
What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? For you have made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. So it's quoting Psalm 8. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see all these things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, meaning because he came to earth as a man. We do see him for, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and through whom all, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to the brethren, in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. So interesting, what, what it's referring to here when in that psalm where it says he made him a little bit lower than the angels, you know, Jesus left heaven, came to earth, was a God-man. He, he left the heavenly setting. He was made a little bit lower for a season. He was both God and man on earth. But then he has been restored to his throne in heaven. And now it makes sense what it's saying in Psalm 8. Um, you have made him a little lower than the angels or God. You crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands, and you put all things under his feet. So we see all, all of that come true in Jesus. Um, one who has rule and authority and one who came down to earth to live among us. Praise the Lord. Um, and it ends, the psalm does, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Lord, help us to, uh, to see you as we should, to glorify you, to honor you, to see you high and lifted up. O God, your majesty is above all the earth. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.